Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be looking at Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, and going until Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Mark 2.23 to Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David said, or what David did, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in those times of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether He would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse Him. And He said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And He said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. You know, I'm not sure how many there are, but I would venture to guess that there is a good number of Christians out there who would agree with the Pharisees that Jesus, or at least Jesus' disciples, broke the Sabbath. And perhaps they would say, well, Jesus allowed His disciples to break the Sabbath by plucking those heads of grain in order to show that the Sabbath has ended with the coming of Christ. And perhaps it's not hard to, to hold that against someone or to blame someone who would hold that position. Because at this time, the rabbinical law was so intertwined with God's law that it was hard to decipher where God's law ended and where man's law began. And in fact, many of you gentlemen here who who did our book study on the Lord's Day a few years back would know that in that book, The Lord's Day, Joseph Piper says, and he describes what the Pharisees were doing by intertwining man's law with God's law that he described it as being akin to building a fence. Do you remember that? And what's the purpose of a fence? The purpose of a fence is to, is to keep things outside of it. right? To protect what's inside the fence. I mean, Hollywood A-listers, don't they? They erect these huge fences so that no one's able to, to get to their house to peek inside or to ring their doorbell. Throughout this country, we have gated communities, don't we? Right, fences to keep people out 
to keep the community inside there safe and secure. Maybe many of you garden, and at home you have a small maybe wire fence around your crops so that uh, rabbits and squirrels don't eat your food before you get to enjoy it. But fences go up around those things that we value. And although the Pharisees are guilty of many sins, one thing we must point out that is commendable about them is that they valued the law. This is why they built those fences, to protect it from lawbreakers. And so for our example today with the Sabbath, they said, you know, God takes His law so seriously, He takes Sabbath observance so seriously, that we are going to create laws to protect it so that nobody breaks God's law. That you don't even get near or close to breaking God's law. And so in Judaism, they have what's called the Talmud. And the Talmud consists of rabbinical teachings by rabbis which explain how the Jewish life was to be observed, how the, the law was to be observed by the Jews. They were really laws for how to obey God's laws. And so in the Talmud, there is actually a section that answers how one is to rest on the Sabbath. It tells you how you are to rest on the Sabbath. And the rabbis go into great detail about what work is permitted and what work is not permitted on the Sabbath. And so I want to provide you just a couple examples this morning. So gentlemen, as we were off to church this morning, as you were heading out, if you dropped your keys upon the ground and you bent down to pick them up, hopefully your pants didn't split. And if they did, hopefully you had an extra pair of pants. Because according to rabbinical law, you only could make one stitch on the Lord's day. And so you would be in for some trouble. Or another example is that on the Lord's day, you could only take 1,999 paces, which is equivalent to about a half a mile. So if you had to walk to church today and you live more than a, than a quarter mile away, you could get to church, but you just couldn't get home. And so you, you see the point though. You see what, they were, what was going on. When the Pharisees, who were the, the biggest and most respected group within Judaism, tell people that they must observe these laws, when they tell these people that these laws are just as authoritative as God's written Torah, you can be sure that people obey and so you can, be, you can see then why there was this intertwining and people didn't know what it was that was God's law and what it was that was man's law. They couldn't decipher the difference. It became so much a part of Sabbath observance that people thought this is what it meant to sanctify the Lord's Day. That this is what it meant to, to cease from our labors on the Lord's Day. Right? To not make more than one stitch. Or to not take more than 1,999 paces. But what happened as a result is that the rabbis and that the Pharisees were building a wall that was so thick and so tall that no one was actually able to get near the Sabbath which God had instituted to enjoy the benefits of the day because it was so bogged down with man-made laws. We said last week that the Sabbath was given by God to men and it started with Adam in the garden in order to be a freedom for us that we may enjoy. It freed us and allowed us to cease from our weekly labors. Right? It freed our minds and allowed us to spend one day just engaging with God. 
It freed us to devote ourselves to those spiritual exercises that God has given us to do on this day. Corporate worship. right? The preached Word. Singing. Praying. Fellowship. The sacraments. It allows us to be recharged with the spiritual food of the day that we need. The Sabbath was meant to be a benefit for man to enjoy. It was given to us by God out of His compassion for us. But like with all good things God gives to man, so often we pervert it. And isn't this true of many of us? We've all been guilty of this, just like the Pharisees. Of judging others according to not God's standards, but according to our own standards. Every one of us in here is more than happy to make our own rules and regulations that we think others should obey. And if you're a good Christian, you're going to follow the rules that, that I think a good Christian ought to follow. Right, we can take, for example, something like a Christian drinking a glass of wine at dinner. Some Christians believe it's okay. Some Christians don't think that they should drink wine. And perhaps the reason for that is because they think if they have one drink, maybe it will lead to more and that will cause them to sin. And if that's how they feel, they should not drink. But also what they shouldn't do is turn to their brother and sister and say, you shouldn't drink drink either because it could lead to drunkenness. You see, that's building a fence where God has not placed one. That's causing your brothers and sisters to stand outside of that fence with you. And if they don't, then you look upon them as spiritually inferior. But what that does is two things. I want you to see this. What it does, when you build those fences, it does two things. First, it denies the sufficiency of Scripture. It says that God's Word is not sufficient to protect God's people and to guide us in our life. God failed, and so then we now must come along and help God out. We must provide the laws and rules that will sufficiently protect you. And I don't think anyone here wants to imply that about God's Word. Secondly, what it does is creating fences oversteps our bounds by binding the consciences of others where God has not bound the conscience. We as believers in Christ have Christian liberty and we are not to bind the conscience of another. On the flip side of that, we want to make sure too, though, that we understand where liberty ends. Because oftentimes Christian liberty is used for sin. It's used for why I don't observe the Sabbath. It's used for why I skipped out on church today. My Christian liberty, I can do that. But Christian liberty can never be used to break God's law. Liberty God gives us, He gives us in order that we might follow His law. It never extends beyond the moral law of God. And so this is important to note. Because as we'll see today, Jesus never abrogates the Sabbath. But instead, He reinforces its original purpose by tearing down those man-made fences and allows us once again to see the beauty and the blessing of the day. Now last week, we only got to point one. So today, we will be looking at point two and three. Last week, we answered pretty much what is the Christian Sabbath. And this week, then, we're going to answer how does Jesus want us to view Sabbath observance? And so point two, we said, was doing works of necessity. Doing works of necessity. And point three was doing acts of mercy. So works of necessity, works of mercy. 
Now today, when Christians find out that you're a Sabbatarian, I don't know if you have this experience, but oftentimes they seem to feel really sorry for me. I don't know if you guys have experienced that as well. Their, their body language is like, and the facial expressions they make is, ah, I, you know, I feel so bad for you. Your Sundays must be so uneventful. Maybe some of them may even muster up the courage and say, like, what exactly do you do on Sunday? It must be so boring for you because from what I heard, you can't do anything. But you see, this comes from a lack of understanding of the purpose of the Lord's Day, the purpose for why God instituted this day. You see, God did not give us the Lord's Day to handcuff us because He didn't want us to have any fun or enjoyment on His day. But rather, He gives it to us as an escape from the bondage this world puts us in and an escape from the bondage we put ourselves in. Daily, we are constantly going and going and going. We are never ceasing from our work. We are always busy. But God relieves us this day from our weekly labors and allows us not not to do anything this day, but to use this day to promote the glory and honor of God. And at the same time, what it does is it promotes our own spiritual growth and nourishment as Christians. And this is what we will learn in the first encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees in verses 23 to 26. Please look with me once more there. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So we see that Jesus and his disciples are confronted with the accusation that they violated the moral law of God, that they violated the Ten Commandments. Now this is different from the confrontation they had a few weeks back, if you remember, when they were questioned for why they did not fast. Remember, that had to do with the man-made weekly fasting that sprang forth out of the ceremonial law, not the moral law. And so now the, the accusation is really escalated, what they say to Jesus in our text today. And so in essence, the question that they are posing to Jesus is why are you breaking the law of God? Why are you working on this day when you know God gave the law to Moses and the law that He gave to Moses forbids that you do this on the Lord's day? And what was Jesus' response? What does Jesus say? Does He say, well, I'm the Son of God, and so I'm allowed to break the Sabbath, or I'm allowed to to do away with the Sabbath, as many would have us to believe? No, that is not what He says. In fact, He turns to the example of David in order to show them and demonstrate His point. And He turns to David because David is someone that the Pharisees would have looked at with an enormous amount of respect. And so I would ask you to turn with me to the to the story here that Jesus recounts. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 21. First Samuel chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. 
And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever it is you have here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is only holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go out on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is in an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. You see, brothers and sisters, at this time, there would have been 12 loaves of bread upon the table in the holy place. And on the Sabbath, that new bread would have been placed there, the old bread would have been taken away, and the old bread was only to be eaten by the priests. And you can actually read this in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. And so anyone other than the priests who ate this bread was breaking the ceremonial law. And so when David ate this bread, he violated the ceremonial law, the ceremonial law, that, that law which governs the worship of Israel. And so why does Jesus turn to the example of David eating the bread in order to make a defense for himself when Jesus nowhere violates either the ceremonial or the moral law? And in fact, what Jesus and His disciples did here was very lawful. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, the Israelites were told, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. And so the charge that they were leveling against Jesus was not about the act that He was doing, but it was about the day that He was doing the act upon. And so Jesus turns to David using the argument of the greater to the lesser in order to prove his case. He says, you all know David. You love David. You respect David. David had favor with God. Well, didn't David, when he was running for his life from Saul and in dire need of food, eat the holy bread and break the ceremonial law? So if it was alright for David to break the ceremonial law in order to preserve his own life, how much more is it alright for me and my disciples to break your man-made laws and to eat and to strengthen ourselves on the Lord's day? This is what Jesus is saying. And this is where the Reformed theologians derive the principle that the Lord's day is not only a day for corporate worship, but it is also a day to do those things that are necessary. Those works of necessity. And so when and if those activities arise, we are able to do them. Not to shy away from them, but with a clear conscience, we can engage ourselves in those things. But with a caveat. With a caveat. If you get hungry on the Lord's day, and you're starving for a Domino's pizza, it does not mean that you should order that Domino's pizza. 
This is why it is called works of necessity. They must be truly necessary. And so we are to eat on the Lord's Day. But if you get hungry on the Lord's Day and you want a Domino's pizza, but all you have is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at home, eat the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Because not only does the commandment tell us that we are to cease from our work, but we also, likewise, are not to cause others to sin by working as well. But the whole point that Jesus is making in verse 23-26 is that we are not to be so rigid and cold that we miss the very purpose of the commandment. You see, David wasn't to starve to death so that he didn't break the ceremonial law. But by the logic of the Pharisees, that's exactly what they would have had David did. They would have had David starve to death. And so Jesus is saying to them, stop masquerading your false piety around as love of God and love of neighbor." For if you truly loved God, if you truly loved neighbor, you wouldn't be hiding in the bushes on the Sabbath ready to pop out and catch us if we, if, if, thinking that we violated the Sabbath law. God doesn't want your dead formalism, but rather God delights and desires in heartfelt worship. And how much of a gut check is that for some of us here today? Don't think because you show up to church and you appear to do everything right that God takes pleasure in your worship. Because how many Sundays do you arrive again and again here? You show up at church, you do everything that you think you're supposed to outwardly, but your heart is not engaged, nor is your heart affected by the worship of the day. And as soon as you walk out of here, you forget it's the Lord's day. This is why our Lord says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The performance of the duty without love is worthless. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were turning the, the observance of the Sabbath for the people of Israel into nothing but worthless ceremony. And they were doing this with all of God's law. In the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says this, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Jesus is pointing out in our text today how they perverted the fourth commandment. And we see here as we hearken back to the Sermon on the Mount that they were doing the same thing with the Sixth Commandment as well. They were blind to the real purpose of the law because they were so narrowly rigid and externally focused that they missed the very heart of the law. You cannot rightly observe the law without love for love fulfills the law. And so the question is, when when you come here on Sunday, do you love the Lord's Day? Do you love the Lord's Day? Because to love God is to love the day that He sanctified and He set apart for His worship. Jesus then goes on to make two extraordinary statements to punctuate what He has said here in verses 27 and 28. He says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now we went over verse 27 in great detail last week, so we're not going to rehash that. But there are two important points I want you to see from verse 28 that only strengthen and affirm the abiding validity of the Sabbath. So first, remember that Jesus' words are in response to the Pharisees who have enacted these, these new laws that people were to observe if they were to keep holy the Sabbath. And so in saying that the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I have come and I now lay claim to this day as my own and I have authority to strip it of its man-made laws and to restore it to its original purpose. You see, Jesus in His coming and saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath, is saying, I am restoring the purity of my day. Second, I want you to understand in saying that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is claiming to be Creator when He says this. He is claiming to be Creator. In John chapter 1, verses 1-3, through In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. Jesus is saying, I made the Sabbath. That is why I am Lord of it. I know why the day was created. I know what is the purpose of the day. I know what is lawful and unlawful to do on the day. And so let this be a sharp rebuke to anyone who does not take this day and use it as God has intended it. For when you do, what you are saying is, I am Lord of the Sabbath, not you. When you use this day for purposes other than what God has intended it, you lay claim to this day as your own. And how much of the world, and even Christians today, do that? But woe to them. For ignorance... Nor bad theology is a good excuse. And the irony of this whole situation, what as the Pharisees are, are scolding the disciples for filling their hungry bellies with the food that was right before them, they, in fact, were the ones who were violating the Sabbath. They were the ones who were committing the great sin. And aren't all of us, like these Pharisees, inclined to greater sin? This is why we would do well to observe the law of God. For God gives us the law as a rule of life that out of gratitude and love we would submit to it. And a part of that law is His fourth commandment. It's when we tell God, I know better. I know how to better use my day than you do that we fall into greater sin. Now, even after Jesus embarrassed the Pharisees with their lack of understanding, they wouldn't give up. They would not give up. I mean, you really have to give it to the Pharisees, don't you? They were really resolute in trying to entrap Jesus. He kept knocking them down by His arguments. And they just kept getting right back up and firing new ones off at Jesus, didn't they? They kept trying to find fault in everything that He did. And we see that in our text today in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. And so here is our second point 
doing works of mercy. So please look with me once more at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I feel sorry for this man with the withered hand. Can you imagine the place that he was put in here? As Jesus walks into the synagogue, surely he knew of Christ's miraculous works. And he's thinking to himself, perhaps this is the day that the Lord is going to heal me. Yet at the same time, the Pharisees are there just glaring, staring. And he knows that they don't believe Jesus should heal him on this day. right? So what's he to do? It's, it's like when our children come up to us and they say, Mom or Dad, can, can I do this? And Mom says yes and Dad says no. And the child, stands, child just stands there caught between the two. And What is the boy to do? Do I, do I go or do I stay? We're told, Jesus says, come here. And yet before he does anything, he questions the Pharisees knowing the evil intentions of their heart. And he asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? And with this question, Jesus causes them to do something that was hard to get them to do. He causes them to be silent. Remember, they're the experts on the law. And yet they can't give an answer. But Jesus, the true expert, and the divine lawgiver has backed them into a corner. A corner that they cannot get out of. And this question truly is a softball question. All of our children here today could answer the question. Is it better to do good or to, to do evil, right? But see, they couldn't answer it because they know if they answered they would prove Jesus right. In fact, in Matthew's parallel account, in the Gospel of Matthew here, he adds one particular part of the story that, that Mark leaves out. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 11, we're told that Jesus says to the Pharisees, Which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus here is striking at the core of the issues. It is a heart issue. The Pharisees are so concerned with the external. Even knowing that Jesus says, if your own animal were to fall into a ditch, you know you would get it out. But for this man who's come before Jesus with a hand that isn't functional, and he's right before the great physician, they want that man to wait. And Jesus is saying, look at how backwards your thinking is. You have more compassion for an animal than you do for your fellow man who is made in the image of God. You see, if it wasn't life-threatening, the Pharisees thought it should be done a different day. And that's what's incredible, though, about Jesus' response. Because as we read in Jesus' response, not only does He not break God's law, He actually doesn't even break the man-made laws. Because what are we told? 
He doesn't even touch the man. He doesn't do any work. All He says is stretch out your hand and it will be healed. And He stretched it out and it was healed. But it was in this healing that Jesus shows to us that this day was given to us to be a day of mercy. A day to do works of mercy. A day to show compassion. Today's the day to hand out food to the poor. Today's the day to go visit the sick. Today's the day to go check up on your elderly neighbor. Today is the day to do Christian service. Today isn't the day to do any kind of work, but a Christian kind of work. Remember Jesus' words in John chapter 5, verse 17. My Father is working until now, and I am working. Remember, they had ceased from the work they were doing on those first six days of the week. But they are still working. Likewise, we are to imitate their pattern. We are to cease from our work that we do those other six days and do a different kind of work. The kind of work that God has given us to do on His holy day, which is gather together for corporate worship which is to occupy our times in prayer and in family worship and in private devotion and in private reading. That's also in doing works of necessity and doing works of mercy. See, I want you to see in our text that Jesus nowhere broke the Sabbath, nor does He ever allow His disciples to break the Sabbath. Jesus never abrogates the Sabbath, but rather all He does is He strips away its false interpretations. In fact, even after Jesus died, we're told that as Jesus is put into the tomb, His disciples went and rested on the Sabbath as it was commanded. Obviously, those closest to Jesus, His disciples, didn't get the memo that the Sabbath was abrogated. And that's because it's not. And we all ought to offer God great thanksgiving that it is still here because we need it immensely. Not only do we need it as a day for physical rest, but even more importantly, we need it as a day for spiritual rest and nourishment that we receive through the means of grace that God promises us if we delight and observe His day. Right? We need this one day to be set aside that we might come and worship and celebrate the name of our God. We need this day to refocus our minds upon heaven and disengage from all the troubles of, our, of this earth. Right, that we might be focused on eternity this day, right, which the Sabbath, which the Sabbath day points us towards. Right, we need this day to be reminded of the judgment that is to come so that we might persevere until the end. We need this day to be reminded of the resurrection and of the victory of Christ upon the cross over sin and over death and over the devil. We need that during the week. Each day, I would, I would guess, I would venture to guess, you might get 10 minutes, 30 minutes, at most, maybe some of you, 60 minutes in that. The Lord's day is the day that we might saturate ourselves in this truth. And so I exhort everyone here to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Ask yourselves, in whatever you do today, and what, I, what I'm doing is what I'm saying. Does it resemble and reflect what Christ has taught us to do? Earlier I spoke of Christian liberty and we said that Christian liberty doesn't extend to all things. But here in our text, Jesus tells us what He has given us Christian liberty for. He says it is to do good on this day. We are to do good. 
And what is good? Good is whatever promotes the purposes of the day. This is why when someone asks me, hey, you know, what can't I do on the Lord's day? I don't provide a list. First of all, you are arriving and asking a question that shouldn't even be asked. It demonstrates that you're coming at the question the wrong way. You already view the Sabbath as a burden. That's why you want to know, what can't I do? Secondly, I won't give a list because it will go on forever. I can, I can give you a list of all the things you can't do, but why do that when Christ has given us His positive commands and His life as an example to follow? On the Lord's Day, we are to fill it with corporate worship. We are to fill it with hospitality to our neighbor. Today is the day to have one another over for meals after worship and to engage in heavenly conversations. That's what God set aside this day for as well. You have plenty of time for private reading and prayer and family worship. If you need to, in order to refresh yourselves, in order to be alert for the remainder of the day, perhaps you might need a short rest. But the question you ought to be asking this day is not what can't I do. The question you need to be asking is what can I do? What has God called me to engage in this day? What has God commanded us to do? And find yourself doing those things. Do those things that promote God. Do those things this day that exalt Christ. And do those things this day that advance the Gospel. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You reveal Your will to us in Your Word. And Your will for us is to observe and keep holy Your Sabbath day. We pray, Lord, for the strength to do so that we might fight against the flesh and sow to the Spirit on this day. And so, Father, we come before You and we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.